Hello, and welcome to the FPS podcast series. This is podcast number 35, and we have a special one today. We're going to talk about the Russian sanctions, the recent escalation, how it relates to export controls. And my name is Todd Hatherly, and I'm the director of programming for federal publication seminars, and we're a leader in federal government contract training and professional development for the past 60 years. And every year, federal publication seminars trains thousands of businesses, federal agencies, and individuals on the legal, regulatory, compliance, and accounting nuances found in the federal regulations through nationwide classroom online in-house sessions. These podcasts are really just a small sampling of important content you as a contracting professional can expect from attending an FPS program, whether in person or online, live or on demand. You cannot find another source with the breadth and depth of experience, knowledge, and content anywhere. So please visit us at fedpubseminars.com for more information. Today, I'm joined by my colleagues from the law firm Barnes & Thornburg. They are Luis Arandia, Nick Galbraith, and Tayo Ocean Togon. I think I got that right, Tayo. Yes, you did. All right. I mentioned they're talking about the Russian sanctions and how it recent ex- escalations and export controls and how it all fits together. So, Tayo, I'm going to turn it over to you because you have the questions and you'll be asking your colleagues, though. So, Tayo, why don't you do your introduction? Uh, thanks a lot, Todd. So, as Todd said, these this podcast relates to the recent um, Russia sanctions and export controls associated with those sanctions as well. So as a primer, and I'm sure everyone knows about, you know, a few days ago, a week ago, um, Russia invaded um, Ukraine and escalated to a war type situation. And as a result of that, the U.S. has put economic sanctions as well as a lot of export control restrictions on exports to Russia and um, certain individuals. So today we're going to be talking about that. As a brief overview, what is the sanction? What is the purpose of these economic sanctions? The main purpose is to basically, for lack of a better word, cripple certain industries and ensure that um, money doesn't flow to certain industries. Sanctions are put on other countries as well, Cuba, Iran, other um, countries as well. And Russia now has new economic sanctions. So basically you can't receive payment from certain Russian banks, U.S. people or people in the U.S. are not allowed to make um, financial transactions with a bunch of Russian banks and individuals. In terms of the export control regulations, it basically just restricts exports of a lot of items to Russia and the purpose, and it's stated as well in the sanctions as well, and um, export control regulations, the purpose is to ensure that um, money and certain items do not go to certain industries to further the Russian military to help in their further invasion of Ukraine. That's a brief overview of economic sanctions and export control regulations. And with that, I'm going to just delve into a few questions. I guess before I delve in, does anyone else have any um, intro points to put that I you know I left out? Yeah, thanks, Tayo. Uh, this is Nick. I would, I would just add that we are not alone in these actions. Uh, there's been a lot of coordination between the U.S. and its allies. So a lot of the types of things we'll talk about today, these sanctions and export controls, uh, may be mirrored uh, in other jurisdictions, such as in the EU, in Japan, and, and, and other countries as well. Uh, so we will be focusing on the U.S. component, but any businesses operating, any international businesses uh, should very much be aware of these other sanctions as well. And thanks, Nick and Ty. I just want to note that today is March 1st, and uh, the sanctions and export controls that we're talking about are effective as of today, March 1st. So stay tuned to the news. The news may change. Thank you. Uh, one fun fact is the fact that Switzerland has mirrored EU sanctions, which is very rare because, as goes the term, you know, I'm going to remain Switzerland. 
they usually remain neutral, but this is one of you know, the few times they actually got involved um, in sanctioning the country. But delving into the question for Nick and Louise, what are the biggest sanctions and export control news announced by the U.S. in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Yeah, thanks, Tayo. That is uh, an excellent question. The sanctions have certainly becoming, been coming fast and furious, started off with a, a more limited set uh, and have certainly grown since then. In fact, we've seen sanctions basically on a, a daily basis since last week. So we're not going to delve into each and every one of those. Uh, we're just going to try and focus on, on the main ones and, and what be, might be most relevant uh, to, to most of the listeners. So as Tayo sort of already alluded to, one of the, the major uh, changes is with respect to Russian financial institutions and just financial sanctions in general. There have been several banks that have been added to the SDN list. And when banks are added to the SDN list, that means that they no U.S. persons can have any involvement with them whatsoever, including, of course, making or receiving payments, unless there is some sort of other general license or they apply for a license. Uh, and so that is big because up until this point, there have, of course, been some banks on the SDN list, uh, but now it's major Russian banks uh, that before weren't subject to such sanctions. And that is a, a major escalation there. Really quick, sorry, really quickly, Nick, um, just people that don't know, what is the SDN list? Oh, good question. So the SDN list, basically a list of people that the U.S. have sanctioned. These can be, uh, we use the term persons in the sanctions world. That can mean individuals or entities, or even sometimes you'll see things like uh, vessels that are specifically designated to the SDN list. So once an entity is added to the SDN list, U.S. persons are prohibited from basically any and all dealings. It's like a blacklist. That is not the only list. Uh, certainly other agencies maintain their own list, like the Department of Commerce uh, has the entity list. And OFAC also has other lists uh, where the entities on those lists are subject to lesser sanctions, not fully comprehensive blocking sanctions. So there are definitely different types of sanctions. And that does apply to Russia as well, because with financial institutions, while some are on the SDN list, there are also other types of sanctions that have been imposed as well, including debt and equity restrictions, sovereign debt restrictions, correspondent and payable through account restrictions as well. The, the takeaway from that is it's going to be very difficult, even if you're engaging in otherwise lawful business with Russia, to figure out how you may be able to get payment for that type of business. And that's probably going to be the, the number one question for a lot of businesses going forward to the extent they may have Russia-related dealings. And so with that in mind, there are just a, a couple other uh, major rules we should probably talk about as well that have changed. On the export control side, uh, there was a, a significant escalation of the types of items that are controlled for export, re-export, or transfer in Russia. And I should stop there and, and sort of emphasize that when this means that U.S. jurisdiction follows the item. So if you are in another country, a third country, and you have U.S. origin items, these laws still apply. Uh, and so any of your items that are controlled on the commerce control list in any of categories three through nine uh, now require a license for Russia, Russia generally. So that is a, a major change, whereas before most of these, well, many of these, I should say, uh, may not have required a license off the bat. There are a couple of other rules as well. The U.S. has focused a lot on military end uses and end users in the, in the last year or two, significantly escalating the types of restrictions 
uh, on the types of items that can go to them in select countries. For Russia now, that rule has uh, significantly increased again in that nearly all items subject to the EAR are going to require a license if it's for a military end use or end user in Russia. And one more rule that I'll just highlight quickly, it is a, a complicated rule, uh, but the foreign direct product rule has been expanded when it comes to Russia. And this is basically the principle that products made in a third country that rely upon and are the direct product of US technology or, or certain software can be subject to the EAR, depending on what that technology or software is and how it is controlled. Uh, so even purely foreign-made products that don't incorporate U.S. origin parts, and so you don't have to worry about the de minimis rule there, uh, you still have to worry about the foreign direct product rule. Uh, that is kind of a, a big overview of the major changes. Anything else to add there, Luis? Uh, so with respect to the export controls, uh, the effective date on, on this new rule is February 24th. So it is immediate effectiveness uh, on these export controls as well as the, the sanction. Nick, just provide an overview of. So uh, moving on to the next question. So who else did the U.S. sanction and how does the, the 50% rule affect compliance? Thanks, Tal. I'll tackle this. This is Luis. Russian President Vladimir Putin was sanctioned and he joins a rare select group of heads of state that have been sanctioned, including uh, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un and the Syrian president Bashar Assad, as well as Minister of Foreign Affairs Sergei Lavrov, other high members of the Russia Security Council, and the close family members of individuals in, in Putin's inner circle. So a lot of the oligarchs, a lot of their family members have been sanctioned, uh, as well as uh, other high government officials, as well as officials of designated banks, as well as their family members. Other entities that got uh, sanctioned last week include the Nord Stream 2 company, uh, which is the natural, natural gas pipeline project, and its chief executive officer got sanctioned. And the reason why these people are significant is because under OFAC's 50% rule, all entities 50% are owned by these persons are treated as if they're also on this SDN blacklist. Determining the ownership shares of these people in various entities is very important for sanctions compliance, and tackling that is the most uh, important in your due diligence. I think a fun fact in this, this situation is, so Nick had mentioned earlier how a lot of our sanctions mirror or very similar to our allies in the EU and the UK. I'm a big soccer fan, and Chelsea's owner has had to like basically divest, or more so transfer control of um, the Chelsea Soccer Club to a board of trustees, which is a huge deal because when he took over the club, it was, it was a mediocre club, and now they're, you know, top tier, um, <laughs> as it hurts me to say as an Arsenal fan, but it's either here or no there. But I think that, that's going to be a ripple effect of that happening on a broad scale, especially countries that have a lot of investment, like the UK with, you know, a lot of um, Russian investment. They're discussing how to tackle that with total collapse of the whole industry. To add a couple points more, uh, Tayo, in addition to the Russian person sanctioned, the U.S. has also sanctioned several Belarusian uh, individuals and entities for their support of the Russian invasion. And this includes the fourth largest financial institution, the 11th largest financial institution in Belarus, as well as a leading government defense contractor and defense officials. Okay, great. I think we can move to the next question. So what do the sanctions mean for U.S. businesses selling into Russia? I can start this off. Nick spoke about this earlier. There are a variety of possible scenarios. I, mean, I think the biggest one is collecting payment. 
when you do work or, or if you've done work um, in the past with businesses in Russia, how do you receive payment? Because now with these new sanctions, it, it restricts financial transactions. Transactions, And apart from this, it's a little tangential, but apart from this, it's now being um, economic sanctions as part of, I'm forgetting the word of that payment platform. SWIFT. SWIFT. There we mm -hmm. go. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That basically um, has kicked out a bunch of Russian banks. So that affects payment on a whole scale. So I think it's going to affect how businesses, specifically U.S. businesses, collect money from Russian banks and, and Russian businesses. So it's going to be a, a big area. How do you collect money? Also, if you if you're a business that has, has generally exported um, items to Russia, now it's a, it's we you know we definitely advise you consult a trade attorney to to see how that moves forward because there's a high likelihood that the, the items you're exporting might be controlled for exports to Russia. And a lot of these items, there's a presumption of denial where you apply for a license, you're more likely than not not going to get approved for that license. Yeah, thanks, Tayo. I think just one other thing I would, would touch on is, um, and Luis talked about this a little bit, is the 50% rule. Um, and so because so many of the sanctioned parties are so economically powerful within Russia, uh, this 50% rule uh, is, is difficult to comply with. I mean, it's always a little bit difficult because OFAC is saying, even if we haven't specifically listed them and your screening software isn't going to pick the particular entity you're doing business with, through that screening, you still need to treat these 50% or more owned uh, entities as an SDN as well. And so companies should think strategically about how to try to comply with this, uh, whether it be considering having your business partner certify as to their ownership, and then you can run and screen those names. But of course, that's only as good as the certification. So companies should also consider their own due diligence steps, doing basic internet research, things like that as well, because this is definitely something that could trip people up. It's complying with the 50% rule has always been difficult, and that is especially true in a country like Russia. To, to add on to Nick was saying, uh, you know, U.S. businesses and entities should uh, anticipate that any new business and current business of Russian entities will be increasingly difficult in the time to come and, and now. Even if a transaction may not be subject to sanctions, certain U.S. financial institutions may not want to process them, may not want to touch them. Uh, and we see that over-compliance by, by some U.S. banks especially with the severity of, of these current sanctions. And just one other thing I guess I would mention that we haven't touched on yet, but predating the, the recent Russian invasion of Ukraine, there was the Crimea situation. And as a result of that, there had been uh, and continue, continues to be a trade embargo of the Crimean region. As a result of this latest incursion, there is also a similar trade embargo now for the separatist regions of Luhansk and Donetsk. Uh, and so with these type of regional uh, sorts of sanctions, companies uh, should consider how exactly they're going to comply and work with their sort of screening partners. They're, they're using screening software from uh, another uh, company. Uh, make sure that those are now flagging for major cities in those areas, major ports of entry, things like that, because chances are the address you're given is probably not going to say Luhansk region. <laughs> Thanks. Next question, which we kind of touched on a little bit already, but what do the new export controls mean for U.S. businesses exporting items and technology to Russia? Thanks, Tayo. I think I would just start out by saying it means you need to know absolutely the classification of your items. 
because now the danger between something that was a subject to really low level controls on the commerce control list versus EAR 99 becomes very important for Russia because anything even low level controlled in categories three through nine now does require that license. And the types of license exceptions that were available for Russia uh, have been uh, severely curtailed as well. Having a strong uh, export compliance program with a strong uh, classification database, persons who are, who are um, well-versed in export control compliance, management uh, commitment to export control compliance is, is critical in, in these types of evolving dynamic situations like Russia. I encourage you to, to reach out to um, compliance professionals, other trade attorneys to learn more about how these sanctions and export controls affect your business. Yeah, and I, I think uh, to, to further those points, a little pitch for us is we do teach uh, FedPub classes where we, you know, we teach OFAC classes, deal with economic sanctions, export controls um, on the lower and higher scale, either with the Commerce Department or State Department. So um, see those classes um, at various times throughout the year um, through FedPub where we, we, go, we delve a little deeper um, into things that the co- uh, companies can do and look out for companies, universities, various institutions. Um, so be on the lookout for that to, to learn further about this. And just one other thing I would add is even if you're not directly dealing with Russia, this is still something you need to be thinking about. There, companies should always be looking out for red flags that their items might be diverted to an embargoed uh, territory or, or you know, a territory where a license would be required for that particular re-export, transfer, things like that. So it, it is important just to make sure you've, you've really thought about these new sanctions and export controls and have procedures in place just to try and prevent any unlawful activities. I just, maybe just close up and saying uh, now is the time to conduct a thorough due diligence of any and all operations, determine any Russian touch points that may exist, and reach out to some trade professionals for assistance on that if you need them. No, I think that's a, that's a good introduction. Um, we're probably going to do a couple more of these as the regulations change, which they are changing on a more so daily, sometimes hourly basis. And we'll see how these change as hopefully escalation doesn't grow, but we can't say with the current climate we're in. We know, but thank you everyone for your time. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Louise. Obviously, thanks, Todd, for putting this together. Um, we'll do these more. This is kind of fun. But thank you everyone for your time today. Hey, Tyle, uh, how would some of our audience that have more questions about the, the sanctions or need some assistance, how would they go about getting a hold of you or anyone at uh, Barnes & Thornburg? Sure, you can reach out to our uh, trade team at Barnes & Thornburg. Our website is www.btlaw.com. That's funny, I stumbled on that. I never go to our website. I mean, there's already a link on our, on our computer homepage. You can reach us at our email addresses as well. Um, my um, name again is Tayo Oshintogun. So it is A-D-E-T-A-Y-O dot O-S-U-N-T-O-G-U-N at btlaw.com. And uh, this is Nick Galbraith. Uh, you can reach me at N-G-A-L-B-R-A-I-T-H at btlaw.com. And I'll end by saying uh, my email address is uh, uh, L-U-I-S dot A-R-A-N-D-I-A at btlaw.com. And as uh, Tayo has mentioned, our website uh, trade page has uh, updated insights on these Russian sanctions and alerts, and we'll continue to publish them as the news events arise. Good place to go to get information on what's going on. That's great. Thank you all for being a part of this. And uh, we uh, at Fed Pubs appreciate you all for teaching our the ITAR courses and uh, EAR and OFAC courses as well. 
we, we do have a live program coming up, classroom program in May, first part of May in La Jolla, California, where we have uh, are teaching both the advanced ITAR, where you guys are teaching both the advanced ITAR and the basic ITAR. A lot to offer, a lot of great information. Everybody that does take the ITAR courses always come back and gives great ratings. We're happy hosting that for you and being a part of that program. That concludes today's program. And like Tayo mentioned, there's probably more coming down the pipe. So we're going to uh, keep following this. And as as things develop, we'll add another podcast uh, related to the Russian sanctions or other sanctions that may happen. So we look forward to seeing and hearing from you again. And as always, if you have a topic that you want us to cover in a podcast, you can send me a note at todd at fedpubseminars.com. And until next time, stay safe and keep your distance and read the far.